Hey, K First, welcome to week three of our series called Soul Therapy. And we've been in this series learning how to navigate through our emotions. We've had a great couple weeks last week. If you've missed it, you need to watch week two with John Opaluski, where him and I had a conversation about the issue of isolation. Uh, this week, I want to talk about forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is something that I don't think that we can ignore when we're talking about our emotions because there may be no other thing in our life that ravages or accesses our emotions like the issue of forgiveness or unforgiveness. It was sometime earlier, I think it was this week, maybe late last week, I was on a run and just kind of praying through just our series, praying through uh, some different things. And I feel like I had a what do I call a Holy Spirit moment? I feel like the Holy Spirit kind of downloaded a, a word, kind of prompted my heart, my mind with a word, and the word was baseline. And so I, I just remember just yelling it into my phone so when I got home, I could begin to look it up. And so, because in my mind, I think I knew what a baseline was. When I think about baseline, I think about songs. And there are some very, very famous baselines when it comes to songs. And that a baseline in a song is basically um, a, a portion of the music, usually used by a bass or a keyboard, that just becomes the foundation for the rest of the song. And I came home and decided to search what are some of the most famous bass lines for songs out there. And at the top of almost every list was the song Come Together by the Beatles. In fact, I want you to listen just to the first 10 seconds of this bass line. I mean, doesn't it sound familiar? And it kind of carries through the rest of the entire song. It's the base of the song, the foundation of the song. The bass line kind of is that foundation that the rest of the song builds off of. And so the more that I kind of looked into it, I began to realize that that's not the only type of bass line. Because I spelt it B-A-S-S-L-I-N-E and realized that there's another bass line. And it's spelled B-A-S-E-L-I-N-E. -E. And according to the dictionary, a baseline is a line that is the base for measurement or for construction. It is a foundational place that you build off of. And when I begin to think about that, whether we're talking about the construction um, metaphor or the definition or we look at the music definition, it really says the same thing. There is a base that something is being built or leaning off of. For a song, it leans on the baseline to keep not just the pace, but the flow of the song. If you're gonna build something, you've got that foundation, that baseline that you're leaning upon to make sure that you're building straight and accurate. And I think that sometimes our emotions can be the baseline on whether or not we choose to forgive somebody or choose to live in unforgiveness. Let me say that again. I believe that our emotions can be the baseline for which we navigate unforgiveness and we choose to forgive or we hold on to unforgiveness and we won't let it go. I want to read you a scripture out of Matthew chapter 18. It is an unbelievable chapter when you're talking about walking an offense or being offended by somebody, dealing with unforgiveness or forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18 verse 21 says this, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? 
and I forgive him. As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered that uh, him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you back everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him of the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused and went out and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. And when the fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master had summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave all the debt that you had because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had the same mercy upon your fellow servant as I have had mercy upon you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of the debt. So also my heavenly father will do every to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask today for help. We ask for guidance. We ask for mercy and grace. Because for many of us, our baseline emotion can drive that, drive us to that pivot point of will we forgive or will we hold on to bitterness? Will we choose to release something or will we hold on to something and let it infect our lives? So we ask for help today because we're all in the same boat together where we have to choose what is our baseline emotion and how are we going to navigate the issue of forgiveness. Guide us and lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message today is just simply this. What's your baseline? What's your baseline? We've got this awesome story and it starts off honestly with a little bit of comedy. If you're reading this, uh, you may not see things that are funny in there, but there's actually a couple funny moments. And I think it starts off with Peter because Peter, I kind of imagine he's coming to Christ as if to brag a little bit. How often should I be forgiving people that hurt me or come against me or say nasty things on social media about me? I forgive people up to seven times. I give people a lot of mercy. And in Jesus I mean, he sweeps the leg right there. He just completely takes Peter's pride out from underneath him. And Jesus says, you know what? You may think that sounds good, but how about this? You should forgive them seven times 70. In other words, Peter, don't put a cap on your forgiveness. Don't put a cap on mercy. Don't put a cap on grace. You'll need to learn to keep forgiving. You need to keep showing mercy and keep showing grace. Like when we think about the idea of, of 70 times seven, um, it's not the easiest to calculate unless you're a math whiz and you've, or you've got a calculator in front of you. But the idea is there is a number that is out there and Jesus is trying to tell Peter, don't keep track of how often you're forgiving people. Don't worry about that. 
What you need to worry about is your heart. Keep on forgiving. Because in the grand scheme of it all, every single one of us, if we were to keep track of how often we would need uh, forgiveness from God, if we were to try to keep track of how often God had to forgive us, how many of us would realize that over the span of our lifetime that God has probably forgiven us more than 70 times 7? And that's the beauty of what Jesus is trying to explain. It's the mercy and the grace that God has. We also ought to utilize and access and then pour out into other people. I love what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. I want you to understand something, that if you feel like you've pressed the line way too many times, whenever you think you've sinned too much or too often, I've had people say that, that God cannot forgive me for the amount of things that I've done or the exact things that I've done. I want you to understand that the promise of Scripture is this, is that if you confess your sins to God, he is faithful. He is just to forgive. And so we are all like Peter. We are all like Simon Peter, where we are looking, let's say it this way, we're looking for the place where we don't have to forgive any longer because there is a part of us that just loves to hold on to a grudge. We love to hold on to something. There's some sort of inner satisfaction that we feel we get from holding something over somebody's head, not realizing what it's doing to us. And so Jesus wants to paint a picture for Peter and for the disciples, for anybody listening, and for now for us reading these scriptures. He says, there's a picture I want to give. So the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a master who wanted to settle all of his debts with his servant. And he brings to him the servant that owed him this specific debt. Now, when we look at the scripture, we see what the debt is. We see the debt is 10,000 talents. Now, that doesn't seem like much to us because we don't utilize that type of currency. But if you really do a deep dive in the scripture, you got to picture this. The deep dive is approximately... 20 years of salary, 20 years of salary. This man owed his master 20 years worth of salary. And I did a simple Google search. I think it was according to a census in 2015, the average salary for an American was somewhere around $54,000. If you take that, times it by 20, this guy owed his master, he owed his boss, over $1 million. It's about $1.1 million. And he was ready to be thrown in jail until that debt could be paid. Everything sold. His family sold. Everything sold to pay off the debt. And the man cries out for mercy. He falls on his knees and he says, if you would just give me time, I'm going to pay it, which I think is another part of comedy because there's no way he could pay this back. 20 years worth of a salary. What is he going to do? Not like eat or, or live anywhere for 20 years and save all of that? He, he can't pay it. He can't do it. And he says, have patience with me and I will pay back everything. And I love it. The climax of the story is the master looks at him and doesn't give him more time. The master says, I completely absolve you from any debt whatsoever. Your debt is forgiven. That's such a great line. Be patient with me. And the master forgives him. Now, 
This would be a great story if this was the end of the story. This would be a fantastic story. This is a great Hallmark moment for some Hallmark Christmas movie that we're going to watch in December. But this is not where the story ends. Because he goes on from there, literally leaves a place of absolute forgiveness. Imagine the emotions. You want to talk about emotions in Soul Therapy series. Imagine the emotion of having a debt, a 20-year wage level debt eradicated, gone. This is like taking out a mortgage and having the mortgage completely forgiven overnight. And he leaves there and it seems like he immediately goes and finds a friend who owes him one day's wage. So if we took that 54000 that is annually done for a year for the average American and we subtracted or divided it by 365, we get approximately $154. So he finds a friend. He's just been forgiven 1.1 million and he finds a friend that owes him 150 bucks. And he grabs him by the throat and begins to choke him and says, you need to pay me back. And look at the words in verse 29. Be patient with me and I will pay you. Now look at that. Now that's important. Why? Because that's the exact wording that he had used with the boss this other servant is not using with him. And you would think that that would have triggered a memory that would have triggered something in him that said, you are given grace, you ought to give grace here. It should have triggered some auditory complex within his, our cortex, within his brain that said, wait a minute, you need to have perspective going on here. But this really, I think, challenges us in two ways spiritually. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down two challenges I think we all have when it comes to this. Number one, we have the tendency to forget what we should remember. We have the tendency to forget what we should remember. I mean, for, for the flip side, we tend to remember the things we ought to forget. We forget the things we should remember, but then we tend to remember what we really ought to forget. And I sat back and I wrote down these words in my journal. Do you want to know why we mistreat people as Christians? It's because we forget what Jesus did for us. Let that sink in. Why do we mistreat people? Whether we're talking about seeing them face to face or even worse, we do it on a screen uh, behind a keyboard. Why do we mistreat people? Because we tend to forget what Jesus did for us. There's a reason why the word remember has been used over 200 times, in fact, 250 times in scripture. It's because we are told to remember the goodness of God. In the book of Deuteronomy, we read a scripture whenever we do baby dedication and we talk about the works of God and the law of God and who God is. And there's a command that God gave to the people of Israel is that when you have your children, talk to them about the Lord when you're sitting down or when you're walking around, when you're rising up or laying down. Talk with your children. Why? Because we have to remember the, the work and the grace and the power of God in our lives. I was reading a, a, a paper, a psychology paper on the issue of remembering. In the 19th century, there's a German philosopher uh, named Hermann Ebbinghaus, and he studied memory, and he talks about, he does this thing called the Oppenhaus um, curve, or the forgetting curve, where over time, we, we learn that our retention declines as time continues. 
And another couple of factors that were written in the paper said, we tend to remember that which is emotional. Why? Because emotion stamps something within our brain. We tend to remember things that are unusual. Why? Because the routine stuff we don't take notice of, but the unusual we do. And thirdly, we tend to remember what is meaningful. Something that was very meaningful to us. Something that touched our heart and touched our lives. Now, what is so crazy is that our story fits the criteria of things that we should remember. Something that impacted the the meaning of the servant. He was forgiven debt. It was unusual. It was a 20-year wage level debt forgiven. And something that hit the emotions, it would have lifted a massive weight off of him to go from complete sadness and fear to the place of joy and peace. This moment and this parable Jesus shares hits all three of those. And yet still in the face of this, he still forgets what was done for him. This is challenging. This is concerning. This is something that is so real because if we look at how the grace of God touches our lives, it does mess with our emotions because we know what we deserve, yet Christ forgives us. We know it's unusual because the average human being would not forgive at the level level for which Jesus forgives us. And it's meaningful because his forgiveness introduces eternal hope. And yet how often Do our lives fit the criteria of the things we ought to remember, but like the Ebbinghaus curve, over time we tend to forget? So first of all, the tendency to to forget what we should remember, and secondly, we have a tendency to minimize our sin. We have a tendency to minimize our sin. Why do we do that? It's, It's easy. We don't want to feel bad about it. Or we don't want to talk about sin with others because we don't want other people to feel bad. But I want you to remember something. When we minimize the effects of sin, we minimize the grace of God. Write that down. That is so important. When we minimize sin, we minimize the grace of God. We could talk about sin, but I don't ever think we should ever talk about sin without talking about the grace of God. But on the flip side, I don't think we should ever talk about the grace of God without talking about sin because it's the reason why we need the grace of God. And when we understand the depth of our forgiveness, we can... We can now treat people in a different way because when we walk in the idea of what our sin had done to our hearts, what sin wants to damn our souls with, when we think about the effects of sin on our world and on our families, on our marriages, on our lives, and then we see the grace of God moving in, the saving grace of God that that rescues us, the same grace of God that brings us to the place of, of peace and forgiveness, this unity and this connection with the Father. When we see the work of the grace of God, it propels us when we understand it it pushes us to help treat other people with the same type of grace with that which we have received ourselves this guy refused and he threw a man in prison over a hundred and fifty dollars this parable it's not a silly parable it's the real deal it's the human propensity to hold on to things, forget what we have received, and we only think about what we deserve. We deserve that 150. We deserve people to feel the pain that we have felt, and we forget what our Lord has done. 
So I've got a question for you to ponder for the next two minutes. And the question is simply this, what is the hardest thing you have had to forgive? Would you take just two minutes? Would you share that with maybe your spouse, share that with your children, uh, maybe share it with a family member, maybe share it right there in the live stream. What is the hardest thing you've ever had to forgive? When I talk about baseline emotions, I'm talking about that, that emotional place that you built off of and that place that you make decisions from. And what we see in this scripture is a powerful story of forgiveness, but we also see a powerful story on how if you don't know how to navigate and recognize your emotions, instead of them being a, a gift in your life, they can actually be a horrible master in your life. They could be the place that you build off of and you make very poor, terrible, and destructive decisions in you. And my challenge is this, is let the grace of God be your baseline. Write that down. Our baseline is the grace of God, not the emotion we're experiencing. Pastor, you don't know what people have done. You're right. Pastor, you don't know my pain. You know what? You're right. You don't know my pain either. But I'm here to say, instead of trying to compare our pain in order to justify our unforgiveness, what if we all just went to the place of God's grace and said, that's going to be our baseline. That's where we're going to start. Verse 31, when his fellow masters, our fellow servants saw they told the master and the master summoned the servant and asked him, why didn't you forgive? Now, if you're taking notes, three things I want you to write down. Number one, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a decision. But it's a decision that I've learned that can either be fueled by a bad emotion or lead us toward healthy emotions. 
Forgiveness is not a feeling. And the reason why most people can't forgive is because they live off of a baseline emotion of envy or guilt or shame or anger or bitterness or fear. And out of that, we feel justified in not forgiving somebody. Well, pastor, they did this. They did that. You don't understand. You don't get it. They keep doing it over and over and over. We should probably talk about boundaries on a different day, but we're not going to talk about that today. We're talking about our baseline and where we ought to live from. And I've had people tell me how irrational I am as a human, as a pastor, as a Christian, how irrational it is for me to talk about forgiveness this way. But I would even challenge that thought because when you look at what God has done for you, it is irrational to not forgive. When we really truly see the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, when we truly understand the hell that we have been rescued from and the hope that lies before us and within us, I think it's irrational to hold on to grudges and and be a person of unforgiveness. Yet this is what we do. Verse 34, the, the, the anger of the master rises up and says, okay, if that's how you want to live, then fine, that's what you're going to live in. So write this down. So number one, forgiveness is not a feeling. Number two, without forgiveness, our souls are anchored to what has happened to us in the past. Without forgiveness, our souls are anchored in what we've done in the past. Look at the servant wouldn't forgive. And so the master says, fine, you don't want to forgive even though you receive forgiveness. Fine. I am going to let you live in that type of prison, and it literally was the prison. He was going to be anchored in that, so Master says, fine, I'm going to allow you to live in that. Matthew 18 is such a very challenging, tough chapter. If you've never read it and read it through completely and slowly, then you may not understand what I'm talking about because when you get to the last part of this passage that we've read to you today, we realize that God's forgiveness of us is contingent upon us forgiving others. I want that to sink in. That God's forgiveness of us is contingent on us forgiving others. And there's part of us that we just don't want to go there, that we want to skip over that portion of Scripture. But I want you to understand something. I want you to do more than hear about this. I want you to act upon it. Why? Because there's freedom that you would understand that is on the other side of forgiveness. When I was a kid's pastor, I used to teach teach Matthew 18 to the kids in this way. I said, imagine having a shiny quarter and God is standing in front of you saying, I've got a $20 bill. And then the only way for you to receive the $20 bill is for you to drop that shiny quarter in order to have something more. God is ready to give us forgiveness. And we can't receive what he has if we are so busy holding on to that grudge, holding on to the bitterness, holding on to that hurt. I'm not saying that what somebody has done to you should not have hurt you. It should not have fractured you. I am not saying that because I believe that there's wholeness, there's healing, there's deliverance on the other side of forgiveness. And it may take time. It may take some some therapy. It may take some prayer. It may take some some walking through with with some friends and some co-workers. It may take some work, but there is forgiveness, grace, and mercy on the other side. But you have to release it in order to grab onto that thing that God has for you. 
And we can't expect God to forgive us and to release us if we are unwilling. We can't grab a hold of forgiveness if our hands are so full of the junk that we, that we refuse to let go of. Your spiritual and emotional health is contingent upon what we're talking about today. You see, forgiveness detoxifies you. It allows you to embrace God's grace while releasing the toxicity of hate. Man, write that down. Journal about that this week. Forgiveness detoxifies you. It allows you to embrace the grace of God while releasing that toxicity of hate, that anger that has been boiling over. And that unforgiveness issue, man, those, those baseline emotions that have been driving it, those are the things that have been sucking the life out of your spiritual life, your emotional life, your mental life. And I would venture to say your spiritual, your physical life, you are paying the price for the unforgiveness you refuse to let go of. It is that spiritual blockage that refuses to let go so that you can truly understand your identity in Christ. And you need the courage to make it right. Jesus even taught us to pray. And in that prayer, he says, help us, Lord. Lord, we forgive, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Notice the verbiage. Lord, forgive us only in the proportion that we're able to forgive others. So I want you to ask a question for the next couple minutes of yourself. And maybe even talk about it in the room right there. But answer this question. Is there somebody you need to forgive or a relational debt that you need to cancel? Is there someone you need to forgive or a relational debt that you need to cancel? Would you take two minutes and maybe just ponder it, think about it, pray about it, and maybe even to somebody in the room, let them know to help you be accountable with it.
whenever we come in from the outside, like say a hike, um, maybe we've gone backpacking or whatever, uh, my wife would always say the words, tick check. Because something in Michigan that we know well about are ticks, that if I'm cutting the grass or we're just wandering on a trail as a family, we always do a tick check just to make sure that nothing is clinging to us from the trail or the journey that we were just on. Ticks are dangerous because they carry a bacteria in them that can get into our bloodstream that causes uh, Lyme disease. And Lyme disease, if not detected or treated, can actually be incredibly debilitating. It can cause us fatigue, but in some very rare instances can actually kill a human being. Now, why do we bring that up? Because I believe that's exactly what unforgiveness does to us. It wants to attach itself to our lives, get into our spiritual bloodstream, and destroy us from the inside out. It wants to cause so much spiritual fatigue to the way that you navigate life, the way that you're getting into the scriptures, the way that you worship, uh, the way that you live out any type of witness. It wants to slow you down and to keep you uh, into a debilitated spiritual life uh, and ever being fruitful in the kingdom of God. Now, when it comes to unforgiveness, I've had people so often say, well, I don't forgive because it's a way of punishing. You may not word it, but how many of us feel that way, that we hold on to it as our way of punishing, not realizing that we're only punishing ourselves? Matthew chapter 18, the man doesn't forgive. And then he ends up basically having the load placed back on him. And his boss, the master, puts him into a prison until every debt can be paid. Write this down. Unforgiveness leads to one place, an emotional, spiritual, and relational prison. An emotional, spiritual, relational prison. That's where unforgiveness takes us. It puts us in a place that keeps us from ever growing, ever moving forward. It becomes the the noose around our neck, the shackle to our feet. It keeps us from ever moving forward. Some of you, your marriages have never moved forward because of unforgiveness. Some of you, your relationship with your parents have never moved forward because of unforgiveness. This has happened with maybe from a child to a parent or a parent to a child, to a friend, to neighbors. There are some of you that you have lost out, but you have bankrupted some relationships based off of unforgiveness. So we've talked about three things. That forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a decision. Without forgiveness, our souls are anchored to what we've, what's happened to us in the past. And lastly, when I refuse to forgive, I am saying that my standards are higher than God's. When I refuse to forgive, I am saying that my standards are higher than God's. Again, I can hear the voices. I can hear the people. I can see their faces that so often over the past couple decades have told me, but you don't know the situation. You're right. I don't. I don't. And honestly, there are things that have happened to me in my past that honestly, in my own humanity, it's just not even possible to forgive. But when I come to the end of my humanity, that's where I have to allow the grace of God to get a hold of my life. Because without God's grace, you're right. It's impossible to let it go. It's impossible to forgive. It's impossible just to let that situation be. Without the grace of God, of course it's impossible. 
But when you taste of God's grace, when you taste of God's goodness, when you actually let, when you see what's in front of you, it is then possible to let it go in order to embrace everything that God is so that God's grace can then become our baseline. That becomes the baseline for which we build our lives. We can build our marriages. We can rebuild a relationship with loved ones, with our children. It becomes that place where we can rebuild um, the the companies the way that they need to be built. We can rebuild uh, the foundations of friendships that maybe have broken apart. It becomes the place that lives can start all over again. What is your baseline emotion? What is the baseline that you've been living off of? And maybe today you've never tasted of the grace of God. I would invite you in this moment to accept the grace of God. Maybe you've said that your life is unforgivable. I would say that you're wrong. Maybe you think that what you've done could never be pardoned. I would say that you're wrong. That God's grace is greater than anything that we can ever do. That God's grace can reach down into what the the scriptures and the old hymn reminds us of, brings us out of the miry clay, brings us out of the junk that doesn't want to release us and gives us a place to get our feet set upon the foundation of Jesus and to live life the way that he has meant us to live in liberty and in peace. So if you're listening today, if you're watching today and you've never tasted of the grace of God, would you right where you're at Just simply say the words, Jesus, today I put my trust in you and I lean upon you. I ask for your forgiveness, but I also today release to you. I mean, if you want, hold your hands open like that. I release to you the unforgiveness. I release to you my bitterness. I release to you unresolved anger. I release this all to you. I empty my hands out in order to receive everything that you have for me. I want to pray that over you today and over maybe over all of you that are listening today that maybe you're still struggling with releasing somebody. Maybe you've got that other person in your life that has got that that debt of relational debt against you. Maybe somebody who's hurt you. Today, I want to invite you into the healing stream of the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ and ask that you would just release that. I'm not saying that you have to go back to trusting somebody on that level again. That's a whole nother message in and of itself. I'm not talking about trust. I'm not talking about living life without boundaries. I'm talking about living life that is free from unforgiveness and allowing that to get into the bloodstream of your life. Today is time to be set free. Would you get into a posture of prayer? Perhaps just close your eyes and just hold your hands out like this. And I want to pray for you today. Jesus, I ask that right now, that wherever somebody is watching this from, maybe they're listening in their car, watching in their living room, sitting on their bed, wherever they're at, I ask that the anti-venom of forgiveness and grace uh, would, would flow into lives that have been ravaged by the venom of unresolved anger, resentment, bitterness, got baseline emotions and reactions that have set their life to be structured in such a way that is unstable and has lived with this heaviness and this prison of unforgiveness. And Lord, I pray that there would be release in the name of Jesus. 
that your grace would just infiltrate hearts, that would put life in perspective, that we could see how much we have been forgiven by you, that empowers us to release those that we have held unforgiveness over. Lord, let your grace touch us, let it transform us, and let it, your grace be the baseline for which we live our lives. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.